Good morning, folks. Today is Tuesday, October 25th. Welcome to episode number 226 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Brief. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 45 minutes, me, you, and all a chat are going to be digging into the top cybersecurity news stories of the day, providing expert analysis on each of these stories on what it means to you as a practitioner, so how can you operationalize this in your work today? Or if you're looking to break into the industry, we got you covered because you're going to get asked, how do you stay current? And the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is an excellent option, one that I obviously am quite biased but highly encourage. Before we get into that, I want to throw some love and shout out to the stream's sponsors. Very, very, um, very, very, uh, you know, proud, uh, happy to be aligned, share these two particular companies, I think they both do excellent work, and more importantly, I think they're composed of excellent people. First off, I want to throw some love to Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil, but Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Check them out at barricadecyber.com. Links in the description below if you're feeling fancy. Uh, you could set up a no obligation call with Eric Taylor, the CEO over there. Great guy, knows what he's talking about. Help you guys get sorted out before ransomware slaps you in the face. Also wanna say much love and respect to Eric Capuano and the whole gang over at Recon Infosec. Recon Infosec, their managed detection and response, MDR, you may have heard this acronym, MDR, the offering includes the people, the process, and the technology needed to deliver full-spectrum security operations to organizations of any size. Their MDR service, Recon InfoSec, includes fully managed SIM and SOAR, and customers of Recon InfoSec gain full visibility into their own environment, as well as any incident investigations being worked by the Recon SOC team. Link in the description below because it's a special one for Simply Cyber. But the important thing is, guys, if you are struggling to protect your organization, if you're if you're kind of reached that threshold where you're like, oh my God, it's like overwhelming, what's going on? And you need, you can get funding for MDR, which is basically like, I, I would call it, uh, dis, not discount security operations, but like your money goes way further if you go with an MDR option than if you go with hiring in, in-house staff, okay? Uh, and that's what MDR is, so check it out. I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs, like e, uh, like SISP, says that each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Brief is worth half a CPE, so two and a half a week, ten a month. Be sure to say what's up in chat, hashtag team live. And document literally the easiest and I would argue the most enjoyable way to earn CPEs. Be sure to check the policies of your certification body just to make sure that it maps. But I've looked at ISACA, ISC squared. I feel confident enough on that, but your mileage may vary. What's up, Kerry? Good to see you. Hey, Alfredo. So guys, if you're live, love it. Hashtag team live. Thanks for being here so much. It looks like we're pushing 64 people right now, according to the metrics here, 71 on Restream. I love it. If you are watching on replay, appreciate you catching the stream at a time that's convenient for you, whether you're listening on your podcast app of choice. That's right. Simply Cyber, Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is available on audio podcast. Check it out in your, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you want. We're there. Uh, or if you're watching on YouTube, LinkedIn. The cool thing with Team Replay, drop a comment, hashtag Team Replay. 
but you can jump forward in time. You don't have to listen to the jaw jacking that's going to be going on here. But I love saying what's up to chat. I love pleasantries. So for the next two minutes or so, I'm going to throw the script to the side. I'm going to have some pleasantries, and then we're going to get right into the news. So let's start right off. What's up, Tom Bishop? Hey, Cyber Munchkin. Nathan Bolin in the house. Team Live. Jeff Fuller's here. Abdullah's representing Team Live. Rachel, Team Live. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's good to see Justin. Justin L's made it in time. Hey, this guy, Jared Pierpoint. What's up? Two thumbs and smiles. This guy. I see uh, LinkedIn's coming in here. Maxwell McGarrow over in LinkedIn. Good to catch up, man. Great day, Earl W. Hey. I love it. I love it. I love it. We got a little uh, Tupac going right now. Started with the Beastie Boy Sabotage. I was feeling it. I was feeling it. Todd over at the Citadel this morning. Uh, we got into security technologies. I broke down how firewalls work and why signature-based AV solutions are kind of garbage. David Bianco, Pyramid of Pain. If you're new to the industry, if you have never heard of David Bianco's Pyramid of Pain, Absolutely want to check it out. Matthew Necci with the squad membership five months deep. Thanks so much, Matthew. Guys, really quickly, just want to show you this because it is so awesome. If you don't know about the Pyramid of Pain, allow me. You're going to, like, this thing is standard issue for any practitioner. This guy right here, David Bianco, Pyramid of Pain. Learn it. It's how you can make threat actors' lives painful. <laughs> Hash values, easy to fix. TTPs, not so much. Definitely talking about that. Loving it, loving it, love it. Hey, Pamela, good to see you, Ben. Tara Jane Hood Greer, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You guys feeling good? I know it's 10 a.m. I've already had a whole pot of coffee, but I made a special cup just so I could have coffee with y'all. Oh, so good. So, so good. All right, guys, looks like we're at time. I'm going to go ahead and throw on the news. Sit back, relax. I have two weeks starting today to take my CompTIA A-plus hardware. Get on it, Carrie. Good luck to you, my friend. All right, guys, sit back, relax. We're going to get into the news. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. CISA warns of Daxon team. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency released a joint warning with the FBI on the Daxon ransomware group. The warning states the group began actively targeting U.S. businesses in the healthcare and public health sector as of June 2022. CISA blames the group for multiple incidents at healthcare organizations, encrypting services, and exfiltrating personally identifiable information on patients. Dixon primarily targets VPN services for initial access, then uses remote desktop protocols to move laterally once inside. Its ransomware toolkit appears based on the leak Bobic Locker source code. Oh, yeah, the Bobic Locker. Always a good one. Who, we, who doesn't love a good Bobic Locker? All right, guys, here's the TLDR. You know, if CISA is sending out a joint notification, um, it probably means that there have been several incidents uh, of note. Um, so here's the here's the real thing, guys. If you work for a healthcare organization, you should be mindful of this. They did give out some kind of IOCs here. Initially, um, it starts with VPN compromised, and then they move laterally once in either SSH or RDP. Um, you should be protecting against this stuff, guys. But if you're a healthcare organization, uh, tightening up your VPNs can be hard, especially if you're a large organization. You got to remember, guys, like, yes, we all work remote or not all of us, but many of us work remote. 
and you have VPNs for staff, but that even though that's easy to control, like let's just pretend for a second it was able to we were able to like you know really control employee user access. Many healthcare organizations specifically have tons of third-party vendors who remote in. And by the way, many of them that you know, kind of interface with uh, medical technology, specialized equipment, they use their own service, right? Because for example, Siemens, Siemens isn't going to have like, oh, we have this remote access solution for this client. We have this remote access for this client. Siemens is so big that they say, listen, we embed a remote access solution, a VPN or whatever. Uh, well, that's remote access. Hold on. Let me back up for a second. VPNs, you can have different organizations, different things. And like I've said before, if you, uh, when someone can't access something, like you just signed a contract with a third party and they can't access it, like an HVAC company, they are going to scream, kick, and complain until they get access. Okay, fine. The networking guys set, configure the VPN correctly. Now get up off my back. Now that company loses the contract two years later. Do you think that they're kicking and screaming and saying, hey, make sure you shut off that access? Hell no. So you get all this like legacy vestigial VPN access, and then you get into a situation, for example, like when Target caught compromise. If you don't know the Target hack, go Google it. Target, the um, HVAC company, um, got compromised, right? Because they didn't have great security. And then the threat actors were able to tunnel through the VPN and get into Target and ultimately put malware on the POS systems. So this, this is kind of similar. So healthcare, you need to be mindful of this. You need to be looking for lateral movement, which is east-west traffic, which is very difficult. A lot of organizations don't look for these type of things. Obviously, it's ransomware, so you're going to want to make sure your ransomware playbook is in place um, around having business continuity, doing tabletop testing. Um, I guess the final thing I'll say on this is if you're in healthcare, be mindful, but hopefully you're not starting today based on this story because you are way behind the eight ball if you are starting right now. Okay. Um, so yeah, just be careful of that. Also, I want to point out a lot of the threat actors, even though they're committing crime, um, they kind of took the high road and said, Hey, we won't attack healthcare. Uh, I think Revil did that. Black Matter did that. A couple other like you know notable ones came out and said we won't attack healthcare. We won't attack energy uh, because we're not trying to cause harm to individuals. We're just trying to steal money, aka like Robin Hood, right? Kind of. So these guys going after healthcare that is like you know patient safety kind of issues, and there will be no quarter for them if they are ever apprehended. Exploit POCs used to host malware. Security researchers frequently publish proof-of-concept code for software vulnerabilities on GitHub. These help the security community verify fixes or determine the scope of a bug. But as with any other content on GitHub, these represent unverified code that should be approached with caution. According to a new technical paper from the Leiden Institute of Advanced Computer Science, some of these POCs actually include malware themselves. Looking at over 47,000 repositories from 2017 to 2021, researchers found 4,893 deemed malicious, delivering malware ranging from remote access trojans to cobalt strike. Malicious POCs picked up rapidly in 2019, with the study finding over a 400% increase on the year. The authors contacted Bleeping Computer to show over 60 still live repositories hosting malware POCs. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me just shut off my automated timer here. I was... Uh playing uh, World of Haiku last night. Um, okay, so check this out, guys. 
This is actually pretty clever. I so this is not something I would have thought of, it, which is you know just a constraint of my knowledge and ability. But I love seeing things like this because they make me think. They make me think differently. Novel techniques. So here's the deal. A new new uh, vulnerability comes out, whether it's Felina, whether it is Blue Keep, whether it is this you know not for proxy shell or whatever or proxy not shell. The, the most recent one, like whatever it is especially if it has a logo, it's going to get major public publicity. Well, threat actors and security people alike will flock to GitHub to download POCs because, you know, you might be a script kitty and not understand how to attack something, but you found, uh, it, you know, a vulnerable uh, server or vulnerable system on the internet using Shodan or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm going to get me some. I'm going to get that money. But I don't know how to do these things. So if I go on GitHub, I can download a POC, right? So there's kind of two audiences. There's the threat act, like the script kitty threat actor, or like any threat actor, frankly, that's going to download these POCs and try to weaponize it. Then there are the, uh, which by the way, is why vulnerabilities have a temporal score. And when a POC drops, the score of the vulnerability goes up. And then when there's active exploitation, it goes up. So with, the, with these POCs, there's threat actors downloading them and there are security researchers downloading them trying to see, hey, is my system vulnerable to this particular vulnerability, right? Log4Shell, uh, classic one. There were lots of ways almost immediately. Hunters had a great one for people to verify whether or not their systems were vulnerable to the, uh, the exploit. So these threat actors, wicked smart, they release a POC. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. So maybe it's a Trojan, maybe it's not. But they actually put malware in it. And if you think about it for a hot minute, the goal of threat actors with malware is to get you to install it on your machine. Now, typically, they'll send you a phishing email, socially engineer you, send you a USB drive, whatever it is, they're objective is to get you to install malware on your machine, whether it's Emotet, so then they could start pushing post-exploitation payloads down on you, or it's just, you know, whatever, ransomware, and they're going to go YOLO. Whatever it is, I don't care. They're just trying to get malware on your box. With this, you are already all in on downloading the POC and running it, and chances are, like, there's a good chance, not everybody falls into this category, but there's a chance that you don't even know how this thing works. You're literally just like download point and click and stuff like that. So maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But because it's a POC, you might be like, oh, I guess it didn't fire on my machine or I guess we're not vulnerable to that exploit. And in reality, you're, <laughs> you're installing malware. And in this case, they even said Cobalt Strike and other, um, you know, more advanced pieces of malware like Redline Info Stealer. They didn't say that, but I mean, that's easy enough to get nowadays. So I just think it's really, really interesting. And again, given the two audiences, threat actors and security researchers or IT people, you're automatically getting ownership of vulnerable assets, maybe high value assets, or you're compromising other threat actors who, what are they going to do? I mean, there's no retribution, right? You, a threat actor can't be, go to the police and be like, oh, like I'm a criminal and I was trying to do this, but this other criminal did criminal things to me. I want justice, right? So that doesn't work, right? So anyways, clever idea. TLDR, this actually will be the Simply Cyber, Crush It Cyber Pro newsletter item, I think, for your peers this week. If you're doing this, whether you're IT trying to identify if you're vulnerable or if you're InfoSec trying to, you know, do security research and see how the POC works, you have to treat all uh, uh, software from the internet 
with some level of suspicion until you have validated or you have confidence in the source of it. Okay, that's the TLDR. Be mindful. Don't just get, don't download and then get click happy, right? That's what I'm saying. Don't get bananas. Like, I'm sorry, it takes extra effort, but you do not want to pwn yourself, right? <laughs> like, it's unbelievable. It's like an inverted fish. Like, you don't even have to, like, threat actors don't even have to send it out. People will flock to their to their repos and pull them down and install them. Fashy! Light spice. That was like a cayenne pepper. Light spice on that one. Iranian nuclear agency hacked. Iran's Atomic Energy Organization claims that a group acting on behalf of a foreign country broke into a subsidiary network obtaining access to its email system. The group Black Reward claims... Hold on, what? This story doesn't make sense to this Iranian thing here. Hold on one second. Iranian nuclear agency hacked. Yes. And then this is a story about Iran releasing footage from prison, adding to mystery. That's not... Um, uh CISO series. Okay, Iran nuclear facility cyber attack. Stay stay tuned, stand by. Oh my god, I guess it happens often enough that we need to qualify it. Um There we go. This one looks good, right guys? Okay. As we were responsibility for the attack leaking 50 gigabytes of emails on its telegram channel the data dump supposedly includes facility blueprints communications and other logs it's unclear if this contains classified information iran did not name the country involved in the attack although it previously blamed recent cyber attacks on infrastructure on the u.s and israel How all right <clears throat> well it looks like you know it is a nuclear agency which gets a uh which gets some more, you know, attention, a little bit higher sensitivity. But at the end of the day, this looks like it was hacktivism. Uh, so Masa Amini, if I said it wrong, I apologize, uh, dies and people are upset about that. There's protests going on hardcore in Iran right now. Iran is in almost a state of revolution or quasi-revolution. The government's trying to suppress it somewhat. So these individuals are... Um, you know, outraged, frankly, and they hacked into the Atomic Energy Organization of Iran and leaked a bunch of data. I don't know what those secrets were. I don't know if it was personal information, if it was uh, reports of like power plant, power plant uh, sit reports, you know, like monthly or quarterly, like health reports of, of whatever, or if it's internal emails. It, it's not really clear to me, but, um, you know, whatever it is, it, it, you know, the data's out. It, we'll see, like... I hate to say there's nothing here, but you've got to remember that it, it was the nuclear agency, but they're just a, they're just a, a, a business. I don't want to say a business, but like, it's not like the, the big, the big nuclear stacks got hacked and like they're venting gas out into the environment. It's like, you know, a, a database server got hacked. It just happened to be the nuclear agency of Iran or the atomic energy organization of Iran. So um, it does make big news. It makes you pause and be like, wait a minute, what? But it sounds like it was more IT hack than OT hack, which, you know, okay, a little bit um, less concerning. Um, and the fact that it was in response, protest, hacktivism, you know, I don't think, it doesn't make sense to me. Like if I was protesting... Um, you know, like, I guess if I was in Iran and I was protesting what they're doing, it doesn't make any sense for me to cause a nuclear disaster, 
right? That's not the goal. I'm trying to make my country, my space safer or, you know, have civil rights, these type of things. Like venting nuclear gas doesn't make sense, right? So I don't think that that was the angle. I don't think that was the objective in this particular case. Um, but we'll see what kind of data comes out of here. It sounds like this, this story was relatively new, uh, the actual hack. So it's unclear what the, what the end goal is of Black Reward uh, and what they're going to do with the information that they compromised. Random is shuffling. Security researcher Bruce Schneier highlighted academic work looking at the randomness in card shuffling techniques used at casinos. These techniques deal with the physical realities of having to manipulate cards as physical objects, with mechanical shuffling needing not to go so fast as to damage the cards, but not so slow that it impedes play. Typical riffle shuffles appear to offer pseudo-randomness, but if done perfectly, will put cards back in order after the eighth shuffle. Academic research found that machines offering to provide enough randomness in one pass of a complicated system actually were insufficiently random, with players able to guess over nine cards out of a pack of 52. The security takeaway from this is that passing your own test is a good starting point, but should be followed up with testing by an objective and independent source. Cryptography and randomness are too important to be left to chance. Wow, okay, so very interesting. Uh, okay, this happens from time to time, and it's really worth noting. Bruce Schneier is uh, another one of these uh, OGs in the industry. Here's his blog. He talks about a lot of stuff, but he usually is focused on like crypto and privacy. That's like that's a lot of his um, focus. He's a very smart individual. He does speak at conferences. If you ever have a chance to catch one of his talks, um, he, you know, go for it. Uh, you can see here, his is kind of little bio, very impressive. Fellow and lecturer at Harvard's Kennedy School, board member of EFF, which is the Electronic Freedom Frontier, I think, and chief security architect somewhere. So he just, he's done a lot of stuff. He's well-respected in the industry. So for him to write about this, you know, you should take it as like, okay, this is legit. Um, they're just talking about the randomness of shuffling cards. I mean, you've probably heard the story like, oh, if you give, you know, um, like 5,000 um, monkeys. Oh, hey, thanks for the super chat, Jeremy Williams. Look at this. Love it, love it, love it. Appreciate it. Let me get this on screen. Thank you, Jeremy Williams, for the cup of coffee. Always well, well respected, well appreciated. Um, if you give a, you know, a hundred monkeys or a thousand monkeys or whatever, a typewriter, you know, eventually one of them will write Shakespeare or something like that. I've heard. Um, this idea is that if you shuffle cards enough what? time, did we just become best friends? You'll yep. shuffle them back into order, right? Which, which, you know, if you think about it, no matter what, whenever you shuffle it, it goes into some permutation. So eventually, it could be uh, shuffled back in order. What's interesting is, according to this, again, this is. Um, either machines that shuffle or shuffling that's done um yeah automatic card shufflers like the kind you see at casinos the physical ones uh if you knew what was going on you could shuffle it back in order after like eight tries now the fact that they said um they could break it down where you could predict nine cards out of a deck of 52 with certainty that's impressive right so think about it like you're at um uh, you know, you're playing poker, your casino or whatever, like you could bet wicked heavy when you know exactly what the card is, because there's no longer a chance. There's no longer a probability of losing, you know, you're going to win. So, um, so that's, what's interesting about that. Again, I'm not a huge crypto guy. So if you are, um, you're not going to get it from me, <laughs> but it's important that Schneier, um, you know, call out what Schneier does. He's, he's great.
And now thanks to this week's episode sponsor, Votero. UFOs are everywhere. They're in your applications, cloud storage, endpoints, and emails. That's right, UFOs, unidentified file objects, are hiding in files across your organization. UFOs can contain malware that exfiltrates data or deploys ransomware. And 70% of UFOs can't be detected by traditional scanning solutions like antivirus and sandboxing. That's where Votero comes in. Votero prevents UFOs before they hitch a ride in on files without detection and without slowing down business. Do you believe? Learn more at votero.com slash UFOs. That's V-O-T-I-R-O dot com slash UFOs. Oh boy, right. yeah. I'll look forward to when Halloween's over and we can kind of get back to more normal uh, sounding things. All right, so since it is the halfway point, you know what that means. All right, Simple Minds, don't you forget about me. 80s. Guys, I just want to take a hot minute. Like this, this, this break won't take much time. Just want to remind everybody, if you're into learning NIST cybersecurity framework tomorrow at 1130, um, I'll be streaming live as I play Threat Gen Red versus Blue. Uh, but I'll be uh, taking on the blue side and I will be strictly adhering to NIST cybersecurity framework. Um, the way, you know, like implementing a program, I'll be getting attacked by an active adversary, artificial intelligence who will be hell bent on bringing my company down. I will vehemently adhere to NIST cybersecurity framework and I'll be explaining each step of the way to you if you'd like to learn how the NIST cybersecurity framework is shaped, how you would implement it in an organization, some of the, I guess, drawbacks of the NIST cybersecurity framework, some of the reasons I like it. Uh, I do implement it myself. Uh, when I'm at an organization that warrants the NIST cybersecurity framework. There's reasons not to implement it. There's reasons to implement other frameworks. Um, and I, I can talk about that as well when we get in there. But just wanted to share that. That's tomorrow, Wednesday, October 26th at 11.30 a.m. All right, let's keep on rolling. Clint will not be there. I will be riding solo. RNC sues Google over spam. The Republican National Committee filed a lawsuit against Google in a district court in California, alleging the company puts its campaign emails in spam folders for Gmail users. The RNC says this became more acute at the end of a month, indicating it was politically motivated to curb fundraising. Google launched an opt-in program pilot to keep campaign emails out of spam folders in Gmail back in September, and that received approval from the Federal Election Commission. Axios' sources say the RNC is not enrolled in this program. Okay, so this is again, and by the way, shout out to Jeremy Williams on the third interview tomorrow. I hope you absolutely crush it. Guys, so here's here's an interesting thing from a United States perspective, okay? This might be true in other countries, but I can't really speak to it. Right now, guys, big tech companies have a lot of power. And I'm not just talking about having like unlimited money to sponsor different political campaigns and super PACs. I'm talking about they have massive amounts of power, right? Twitter can control, you know, what information gets somewhere. Facebook can control uh, the, 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 the amplification of certain messaging or, you know, the, the squashing of certain messaging. And Google, 
you know, many people use Google for email. They have Google workspaces, which many businesses use, which basically is like Office 365, right? It's the Google platform for all your office documents and then email and a couple other services, right? So if Google controls the email gateway, Google has the ability to filter or suppress whatever they want. Now, you you would hope that they wouldn't be political. You would hope that they would be choosing um, kind of objective criteria, whether it's RNC campaign funding or Democratic committee campaign funding or Viagra ads funding, right? Right. You want them to be like, okay, this is malicious. This is legit. Now, whether or not this is true, I don't know. What what is what this story is purporting or what the RNC is claiming is that Google is suppressing fundraising messages uh, according to them. Now, it didn't go as far to say is that they aren't suppressing Democratic committee. Again, in the United States, if you're not an American, there's like two major political parties. There's, there's other ones, but they don't really ever rise to the uh, occasion to, 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 to actually compete. Democrat and Republicans, okay? So... The Republicans aren't saying that the Democrats are not being suppressed. They're just saying that they're being suppressed. But guys, it's a private company, right? Google, I mean, they're publicly traded, but like, I don't think the RNC can go in and say, give me all of your algorithm. Give me all of your emails that are being suppressed. They, like, they might just be getting, um, there's a, a term I want to use that I wouldn't use on Simply Cyber. They're, they're just, they might be getting, uh, upset that they're not getting the campaign finances that they were projecting, right? Because you you would do uh, budget predictions like, oh, we're going to raise $40 million and they only raised $10 million. So a lot of the projects they were going to fund no longer can be funded. So what happened? Oh, it must be that they weren't getting the emails, right? Or or perhaps Google is doing that. I, I, I don't know. But my point is big tech companies have massive power now, which means the people who run those big tech companies your your Bezos, your Zuckerbergs, your Musks, etc. They wield great power. Okay, so I, again, I don't know if this is true or not. To me, it could be true, but also part of me thinks that maybe if something didn't happen the way you predicted it, right? There has to be an explanation. I'm a really smart person, and I expected it to. We we would raise forty million dollars, and we're not raising forty million dollars. So. It, it must not be that we're not doing a good job of fundraising. It must be some technical thing. People aren't getting the emails, right? So Google does have this um, filtering program that they put in place um, apparently to not, not to, um, to keep campaign emails out of spam, right? So they have a program in place. It must have been a problem. Uh, but we'll find out. There's a lawsuit here. Who knows if there's this is going to be settled out of court for some monetary thing or if RNC will be able to drag the algorithm out of court. All I know is, um, I will tell you this part. Even if this goes to court, even if this is like a big thing, whatever, this will take years, right? Like at least many, many months, if not years. So with midterm elections coming up in the United States, this definitely won't be uh, like, even if Google said, yeah, we, we suppressed it. Here's $40 million. Sorry. Like the money that they wanted was to fund programs to help them for elections in the midterm, not um, not in like six months, right? The money doesn't make a difference in six months, right? So also part of me thinks, well, like, okay, so maybe RNC is thinking like, let's get this all straightened out and ironed out before presidential election. 
in uh, 2024, right? Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. TLDR for me is big tech companies have massive power, right? The Wire retracts Meta Story. Last week, we covered Meta's hard denial on a recent report from The Wire about the use of its cross-check system to censor content at the behest of an Indian politician. At the time, Meta said the report relied on fabricated evidence. Now, The Wire retracted the story, citing certain discrepancies in emails cited in the piece. The publication said, We are still reviewing the entire matter, including the possibility that it was deliberately sought to misinform or deceive The Wire. All right. So basically, Instagram flagged um, a, a satirical image involving an Indian politician. And then um, I guess, you know, it got posted, whatever, like, whatever. Here's the thing. They, they posted a retraction uh, saying that they didn't have good sources on this one. You know, I don't know if the damage is already done. I mean, this is like, you know, <laughs> this is like posting a retraction on page two, like a week later, like, I don't know if there was any damage done to this particular individual. I don't, you know what I mean? This Indian politician, I don't know if they had elections. Um, but again, like, I don't know if CISO series does this on purpose, but like, I just got done explaining how much power and influence big tech companies have. And like the very next story is about how Meta mistakenly flagged an Indian politician uh, as something and, and removed their content and then originally and then had to come back and say, oops, we made a mistake, right? I don't know what the content was that got marked or flagged. I don't know what the impact was to an Indian politician. I don't follow Indian politics. But my point is, do you understand and see the influence that they could have, right? And I get that they were probably trying to do a good thing, but you don't know um, who's pulling the strings, right? Maybe maybe they were paid and they're like, oh, don't worry. If it, if it ever comes out that we made a mistake, we'll just print a retraction and move on. No big deal, right? I'm not accusing of wholesale conspiracies, by the way. I'm just... I'm just I'm just pointing out that we, we don't know if it's an algorithm, we don't know if it's a human, we don't know who's influencing the algorithm. Uh, but but money talks, man. Straight cash, homie. CNC machines vulnerable in cyber attacks. Researchers at Trend Micro demonstrated how CNC machines from global suppliers like Haas, Okuma, Heidenhaun, and Fanuc contain vulnerabilities for exploitation by cyber attacks. Some of the attacks demonstrated could do damage to an item being manufactured or to the machine itself by altering the device's geometry or the controller's program. The exploits could also open the door for ransomware or data theft, with attackers stealing a program that could be easily reverse engineered or production information useful for corporate espionage. While Trend Micro found numerous vulnerabilities, it began notifying impacted vendors last year to help identify and patch issues. All right, so Trend Micro does some industry research. This is pretty cool, all right? So I, I like this because this isn't like, Trend Micro does a report that says 99% of businesses get hacked that don't have Trend Micro product, right? It's not that. This is, they are looking at uh, operational technology inside the manufacturing space and pointing out uh, in a, uh, at a conference in Atlanta that the machines can be compromised and you know basically mess you up. Now, while this is interesting and, and it's cool, it's cool research. I'm not I'm not opposed to it, right? Like I like I wish I could I wish I had the time to, you know, do a bunch of research and find a bunch of CVs and then present it at a conference and be like high five and everybody and feeling great. But I, I don't have that kind of time. But what I do want to point out is OT technology in the manufacturing space, just like it is in the healthcare space, just like it is in the energy space. 
it's it's typically I don't want to say it's it's it, it can be older. Security is not their primary objective. They talk about allowing users to operate them remotely. A lot of times they have remote access capabilities because the vendor will have you might not know this, but like if you buy one of these CNC machines or if you buy an x-ray machine, right? I can speak about the healthcare side for sure that I've been in manufacturing. I didn't do CNC machines specifically, but I did do other manufacturing machines and this is true. So I would think it would be here too. Vendors like Haas or like Okuma, they will say, hey, listen, we'll sell you this CNC machine for $150,000, whatever it is, right? Put it on your property. You and your people are not qualified to touch it. Like from a maintenance perspective, you need to sign a maintenance contract with us. Like the machine itself is some money, but the real cash money, come on, Randy. Great cash, homie. The real cash money is in the ongoing recurring maintenance contract that they're only authorized to do. We see this with like John Deere. That might not be true anymore. Apple, that may not be true anymore, but the right to repair, right? So you're not allowed to even work on it, but they're not going to, they, they'll be like, hey, we'll send someone physically to your manufacturing plant and the other 19 plants that you have worldwide, but you're going to pay for their travel, their hotel, their food, their salary, all that crap. Or we could stick a remote access piece of technology in there and that one person can service all 19 of them in one day and it's much cheaper for you, okay? So what do you think? From a CFO and CEO perspective, you're gonna be like, oh, I get the same exact maintenance, same exact service, takes way less time and all you gotta do is remote access? Let's do it, right? Hold on, they may ask, is it secure? Yeah, yeah, it's secure. Like, what vendor's going to be like, ah, oh, you got us on that one. We're horribly insecure. We do RDP to the internet all the time. Damn, I wish you hadn't asked us that question. Hell no. They're going to have a slick sheet pamphlet, AES-256 written all over it, remote access everything, the most secure, future-proof, next-gen access. They're going to say all that crap because they're trying to sell you on this thing, right? And then you push it to the CISO and the CISO's got no option other than be like, all right, well, fill out this questionnaire, right? Which then you're going to get the results back and whether or not you do anything with it, that's another whole thing. But all you can do is take what the vendor tells you, which is going to be everything that you wanted to hear. Then they're going to put it in place and good luck. So these devices are insecure according to them. But like I'm saying, OT is constantly this way, right? Attacks could cause damage. Yeah. It's a cyber physical system. You could have it do something. Denial of service attack, probably the most crude and easy to do. And then data theft and hijacking. Data theft, I guess maybe you could steal schematics and stuff like that or CAD drawings, you stick it in the machine. But I wouldn't sweat that too much. Um, and then hijacking. I, I think hijacking and denial of service from a ransomware perspective is probably the biggest thing because guys, if you make these CNC things, machines, stop creating widgets, guess what? Manufacturing companies, they sell widgets whether it's ball bearings, whether it's pennies, whether it's bullet casings, it's a widget that they sell per unit. And if the manufacturing machine does not produce widgets, guess what they don't have to sell? Widgets, right? This is why operational downtime is such a pain in the butt. Like, dude, manufacturing companies, you know what they wanna do? They wanna run three shifts a day, 24 seven, busting out widgets because the widgets make money. So when you get me and I'm like, bro, we got to pull this thing down to patch it. it, like quarterly maintenance. Can I get that? And they're like, ah, 
uh, you know what you are, Jerry? You're a cost center. You know what this thing is? A revenue generator. So we're going to weigh these two things, and we're going to ask you <laughs> out the door. Okay, so this is part of the argument and the, and the struggle that CISOs have to have. Uh, but anyways, the fact that they found all this crap on an OT piece of technology, a manufacturing machine, is not really surprising, guys. There is this meld of OT and IT that's been happening for 10 years, and this is just more of it. TLDR, I'm losing my mind. But just be, just be aware, guys. If you work in manufacturing, try to do network segmentation. Try to talk to the vendors and understand what their remote access solutions are. Try to make sure it's over VPN at minimum. If you can, make it so the access to the manufacturing machine has to be overtly turned on by someone physically at the machine. And they know that the maintenance is happening. Not just listening for connections. Cause that's not a best practice. All right. I'm all, I'm all frothy guys. I'm all frothy. Just like, ah, fishing. I don't know what's up with this. DHL receives the highest form of fishing flattery. According to Checkpoint's Q2 brand fishing report, DHL knocked off LinkedIn for the brand most frequently imitated in fishing attempts, representing 22% of all attempted fishing in the three month period. LinkedIn actually filled a third, further knocked down the list by its parent company, Microsoft, using 16% of attempts. This came after LinkedIn represented a majority of observed phishing attempts in Q1. Among other notable brands on the list, Instagram appeared in the top 10 most imitated brands for the first time following a verified user phishing scam in September. Okay. So, no surprise. I mean, at least in where I live in the United States... Like FedEx, UPS, and Amazon delivery are carte blanche. Like DHL isn't really got a big footprint. I don't know if DHL is more international and they just have a larger footprint internationally. But essentially what you need to know here is that there is a higher probability, or really the highest probability, that if you got an imitated site phishing email, it will be DHL. That's all that means. Also, LinkedIn's close number two, so be mindful of that. This right here, this is easy for end users. Like, do, expect this to be the crush at Cyber Pro on Monday for this one. You need to educate your end users, especially with the holiday season coming up when they're going to be getting all sorts of notifications of shipping and tracking and packages and all that. People are going to be making a lot of online purchases. So you could fall for that. Threat actors are, I mean, they're definitely targeting um, everybody here. Businesses, end users, elderly, whoever. And, you know, once they get, you to either install Redline Info Stealer, right? That's a real popular commodity malware right now. If they can get you to install Redline Info Stealer, um, they're going to suck up all your stuff and then either rob you, go through your email, uh, you know, sexploitation. Like, they, like the sky's the limit once they own you, right? So we don't want that. I don't want my Aunt Kathy getting pwned by some threat actor because she doesn't know to not click on a DHL email um, so this is a great opportunity to, you know, either put together a fish that has DHL branding on it, like a fake fish and be like, Hey, check this out. Or to educate people that if you are expecting a package, if you are do something, um, you need to go directly to the site. And this is a tough sell for end users because it, the button's right there to click. It's wicked easy. Click, 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 track my package. Click. I like click, but Right-click, new tab, copy, paste, dhl.com, copy the shipping number, drop it in, hit enter. 
Well, that's extra work, extra clicks. That's extra time. That's not something I'm into. I'm into speed, right? I'm into speed, baby. I'm built for speed. Well, here's the thing. You, that extra click needs to be part of it or else you're going to get pwned. Like, And then at that point, you have to sell on what the impact is to you as an individual to make it worth the extra cost of going those extra clicks, okay? So just be mindful of this. DHL and LinkedIn have been in Microsoft have been imitated notoriously. Their sites are wicked easy to copy. Um, I mean, there's toolkits that do it for you. So just be mindful. Thanks for listening to today's cybersecurity headlines. You're welcome. And thanks for playing 2019 remastered copy of Big Empty. All right. So that is going to do it for today's cybersecurity news show. I hope you guys feel informed and refreshed and ready to rock and roll. We really crushed it today. We're right on time at 1045. Before we boogie out of here, I do want to remind everybody that my Thursday long form 430 p.m. Eastern time interview, Simply Cyber Live, uh, we'll be welcoming back Dave Klein. Dave's been on the show a couple times. Great guy. A lot of experience in the industry. We'll be talking about continuous threat exposure management. What does that mean? That's a term that is coming on the scene lately, right? Gartner's starting to write about it. Uh, CTEM is the acronym people are using. We'll be going into like, what is continuous threat exposure management? Like, what is it? How is it different? What do you need to know about it? And then how can you actually do it like a boss, right? I do like the like a boss series. I'm always a big fan of the like a boss series. So please, if you're interested, if you're responsible for protecting an organization, uh, you will want to check this out. There will be value add for you uh, as you leave, just like every Simply Cyber Live episode. I will spend five seconds in chat just welcoming, uh, thanking everybody. Thanks, Arnold Salazar. Thanks, Jess Bishop. It's great to see you, Jess. It's been a minute, I feel. Jeremy Williams, take care. Good luck on the interview. Hey, Kimberly. Jess Bishop, so so good to see you. I hope, I hope you're enjoying your work, Jess. Hey, Pamela. Alfredo, Carrie. Base case with on the replay with the NCC group. I hope you guys are going good. My pleasure, Chris Weaver. Hope you're well. Enjoy that coffee. Hey, InfoSec Kid, thanks for dropping by the Haiku stream last night. It was great having you there. Omar Alvarez, my pleasure, Omar. Scott Montante, good morning to you. Cybersecurity Central is right on. Guys, if you're not subscribed to Cybersecurity Central, go check it out. They're put together awesome content. Ender Lionheart, my pleasure, man. Smash that like button on the way out. Oh, thanks, Adam. You demand, man. I appreciate that. I can't get enough cyber. Me either. I love me some cyber. Hey, Shane Prevost. I owe you an email, Shane. I saw that. It's just been busy, man. Have a great day finishing up the Try Hack Me write-ups. Yeah, Dan. Get after it, Dan Reardon. Yeah, long shifts. I hear you on that one, Jess. Ola, thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. Oh, guys, we didn't get a Carl today. I'm going to drop a Carl, and then I'm going to head out, okay? <laughs> thank you, everybody. Be good. And we'll see you tomorrow, Wednesday, October 26th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Look forward to you guys being on the stream. Take care. Have a great day. Crush it out there. We'll see you.